0: a bell oh because the timing it's going to ring at seven seven. and you'll say that's my five minute warning right i forgot about that yeah i will say good job with getting here by 6 30 i know for some of you that's probably a challenge so um all right Everybody settled in? So let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Loving Father, we uh, humbly bow before you. And we're in awe of you and what you've done for us and who you are and uh, how you've blessed us. We thank you tonight for this opportunity to study your word. I hope that your word will speak to us and that we're going to listen to what you have to say and guide our discussions and and the things that we conclude And may we be encouraging and uplifting and help one another from this study. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for your son. And it's through his holy name that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I will, some of you have already noticed I'm not in my suit and tie. My schedule has changed. And so I get up every morning now at 345. And so I get home in plenty of time. I'm usually done by 4.30 or so, hopefully. And uh, so I can change clothes, but you're lucky I'm not in my pajamas so that when I get home, I <laughs> couldn't just drop straight into bed. So um, I, I have some expanded responsibilities at work. And so I'm overseeing hospitals now from Korea, Japan, Alaska, and then all four time zones in the lower 48. So it's creates a wide variation in trying to communicate. So, uh, so my day starts early. Alright, I think I'm awake enough to do this. We're good. We're going to be in Exodus 32. Exodus 32. We're going to be talking about the golden calf. I want to thank James for filling in last week. He covered for me. And, oh, well, I have a chance. I want to thank everybody for your response on the Wednesday nights. So this is our inaugural Wednesday night, 630. Again, we're, we're not. this is not set in stone. As you know, the timing of our meetings are not biblically based, right? So if we get a bunch of feedback that says this is bad, hey, we can look at other options. So don't think that now that we've made this change, we're stuck, right? I think everybody understands that. Uh, Wednesday night is a man made entity, just like Sunday night worship is a man made entity. Those are not things the first 2,000 years of the church, they didn't do either one of those. Um, so, this is something that we can alter. We can use to what's best for our family, for what's best for encouragement and Bible study. So, uh, continue to give us feedback on things that are not things that are biblically. That sounds like it's unscriptural. That's not what I mean. I think you know what I mean. It is areas of. Uh, Uh, Judgment. Uh, Local eldership or congregation can decide meeting times and nights. If we just met on Sunday morning, we'd be doing what the First Century Church did. That would be okay. Probably not enough, but that would be okay, and we'll talk about that a a little tonight. But we do know the First Century Church met once a week. The other times were not necessarily Bible study and worship. It was more fellowship. So Sunday night, Wednesday night is something we do something that was made up by humans, and I think they're beneficial. Um, but don't ever let those trump what we're supposed to do. These are things that are in addition to So give us feedback about this 6.30 time on Wednesday nights. And if you've been one that shot out the door after classes, give us a chance. We made this change to try to get some of those families and some of those younger kids to stay. So give us a chance since we made this change. Stay for the Devo and be a part of it. Give us some time to fellowship. That's the purpose behind that. So. But thank you for everybody who gave us feedback. All right. Exodus 32. So the people are now encamped at the base of Mount Sinai. We talked about the Ten Commandments, and Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. And while he's up there speaking to God, well, I say Moses is up on the mountain getting the law, right, more than just the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given to the whole congregation. The people got scared. They said, you know, don't talk to us. We're going to die. So Moses... It goes up onto the mountain and uh, God is speaking to him in, on the mountain in the clouds and the people are now down for a few days and then a couple weeks and what starts to happen? Yeah, where'd this Moses guy go? He disappeared and look, it looks like a thunderstorm maybe he got struck by lightning right, you know, they start, to, they start to say where's this Moses guy? So what do they do? I mean, this is, I hate to say it, but sometimes I view the children of Israel, it's like, this is fifth graders. I mean, <laughs> if you put a bunch of fifth graders in a room, this is what they would do. And, and I'm going to talk tonight a little bit about maybe giving them a little more grace. But that's what I see, you know, this Moses guy's gone. And so we need a new leader. I mean, we, is he a real, I mean, God has abandoned us. Moses has abandoned us. We got to come up with somebody to, to lead us. So Moses kind of left his brother in charge, Aaron, right? He was the actual mouthpiece. And we are going to see several times in Aaron's life where we see he was good for speaking, but not for a lot else. He was not a strong leader. God had chosen Moses for a reason, um, not Aaron. So, um, so they go to Aaron. And what do they start saying? Yeah. Make us a God. I mean, it, it, you know, we want to see what we're going to worship. Doesn't that make sense? So before we get too upset with them, and somebody pointed this out a couple of weeks ago. We know what they're going to do is wrong. We know that. But what did they just come out of in Egypt? For the last 400 years, what have they been a part of? Yeah. Slavery and idolatry. I saw it. Right. So this is one of those things where 100 200 300 400 years of a bad environment right this is why we have to be careful what we allow in our lives you start to just tolerate it god just told them, yeah but for 400 years we had these idols and it made sense and now you want me just to do away with that i mean for a couple of weeks we've done away with it but so they come to aaron and say uh, we want a god and aaron says give me all your gold all your jewelry and he makes it into a golden calf. I have no idea. I've heard people say there's no way he made a solid gold calf because it would have weighed too much. But if you have a million people's gold jewelry, that's pretty big. You could make a solid gold calf. doesn't matter, right? Does it matter if it was plated? Does it matter if it was this big? Does it matter if it was the size of a? So if you go to Lipscomb University, they have a bi- they're the bison, and Harding University does as well, and they have a bison that's about seven feet long, and four feet high, and it sits on a pedestal. And I remember thinking as a kid the first time I saw it, well that's an idol. Because I mean I thought that's that's what they made a gold- it gold, painted gold, and it's now the golden calf. Well it's not. That's not what it's there for. It's a mascot. But it could have been twenty feet. We don't know. But it doesn't matter. Right. Sometimes we get caught up in the details that don't matter. Um, so I want us to talk first about the children of Israel. And we've used this word a lot. They complained, and man, when we when 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 the children of Israel complained, when do we see a good outcome from it? Yeah, every time it was a good outcome. Yeah, that's right. Think about that. And then think about what that means to us, right? Because, man, we are a people that like to complain. Yeah, about everything. So, um, I love my dad. I love my mom. They're the reason I'm a Christian. And my dad is a a well-meaning Christian for now going on 70-plus years. But I can remember as a child... Watching him, and you know what upset him the most about church? What he complained about the most? Was it the biblical teaching? Was it when someone fell away and didn't come back? You know what I heard about on a regular basis? The temperature in the auditorium. The length of the sermon. What songs were sung and how they were sung. Right? Things that didn't matter at all. Now, That doesn't mean you can't say, it's 82 degrees, we need to turn the air on. I promise you, if it's 82 degrees, I've already said it to somebody, but you can say it to me as well, right? But it's one thing to say, hey, you know, that sermon was 82 minutes long, Tony, and we like a good sermon, but were we prepared for that? You know, nothing wrong with having that conversation. But every time we see the children of Israel complain, we see sin, right? I mean, let's face it, every time we see the children of Israel complain, we see sin, Man, what does that say about me and my complaints? When was the last time complaining turned out good in your life? I'm not talking about good because you got what you wanted, right? I'm talking about good because it was not sinful or good because it was the right thing to do. Now, again, if the elders do something unscriptural, if Tony preaches something unscriptural, if we have a dangerous situation, if we have something where people are leaving because of something, let's have those conversations. And so I'm not saying 100% of the time that saying something negative is a sin. But you have to ask yourself, if you complain more than anything else, you've probably got a sin problem. If I ask the elders over the last 15 years, is this person come to you more because of good things or complaints, what would they say? If, if I asked the preachers over the last 15 years, did this person come to you more for good things or complaints, what would they say? If I asked your friends, your family, are they more likely to be encouraging and uplifting or complaining, what would they say? Now, I'm not catching my wife's eyes right now because I don't want the guilt that comes from her looking at me, okay? Remember, when I tell you, I tell you my mindset because that's the way I grew up, okay? And so that's what I, I have to fight that in my mind, right? Right? So I'm sitting here sweating a little thinking, why don't we turn on the air? It's going to be more comfortable. For me. Right? I, I think, oh, well, you know, we won't, we won't worship to flow well. What, what songs have we chosen? All of those things are appropriate to talk about, to consider. But when does complaining lead to a good outcome? Not very often. And in the Children of Israel's example, I don't see that it ever did. Now, do what? Yeah, yeah. Complaint equals people dying I mean that Tracy's right. You look at this as a relationship, and I wonder, okay, if somebody came up and complained unnecessarily and they dropped dead, I'm sure the complaints at the church would go would go down pretty significantly. I'm sure, and that's not what we see, right? And nor would we want that to be because, I, I mean, you'd have had to. I would walk around with a defibrillator myself. <laughs> I'd be worried about. Okay, um, but I do think there's a lesson to be learned. And it's that complaining and bitterness is a problem in our society, and we don't want it to be a problem in our lives as Christians and certainly in our church. And it is very easy. Now, again, that doesn't mean you can't say there's a problem with something. Please, please understand that. But do you also say, Tony, you did a good job. So, you know, if I go to Tony and nine times out of ten I'm telling him what a good job, I'm encouraging him. then one time I say, did you know you misread that scripture? Or, hey, I think you said this. You think he's going to take it differently? As a preacher, if I'm encouraging him 90, 95% of the time, and then one time I say, oh, did you know that this happened, or can we talk about that? You think he might, whereas if I go to him, and it's only to complain, you know what's going to happen? Because I can tell you, I was an elder for nine years somewhere else. You know what happened when you went to the elders just to complain? They don't listen. I hate to say that, but they don't listen. Oh, they should always listen. No, they're human. Okay? You don't believe me? Watch a two-year-old with their mama. Mama, 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 mama. Hey, did you know they called? Oh, what? Oh, I didn't even know. They were standing there, right? Right? And I'm not saying God's going to do that, but at some point, God's going to say, I'm tired of it, you know? It almost cost the Israelites their entire nation a couple of times here. We're going to see it. Because the complaining led to something, right? It wasn't just the complaining, but it led to sin, which is what happens most of the time, most of the time, not always. So I just want us to really think about and, and catch ourselves. Um, and this is speaking to me as much as it did anybody, so I don't want to hear it on the way home. Not that anybody would do that. But. Um, all right, so um, oh, here's the other thing. Look at how quickly they give up their gold. What did they do to earn this gold? <laughs> they they stole it, yeah. But they got it. They did nothing to earn it, so they it had no value to them. Yeah. Boy, that's a lesson to be learned, isn't it? Now we haven't done anything to earn our salvation, and I hope we view that as valuable. But in our lives, we need to be careful, particularly with our kids. And that's something that parents learn the hard way. When you're if you've set your kids up for success, and they didn't have to work for it. Your kids are probably not going to be successful right I mean that's that's a pretty normal thing um, I read somewhere I won't I, you probably know who it is, but there's a senior who's sort of an actor and he actually invested well he was one of the first investors in Facebook before it went public and so he made about 800 million when Facebook went public over the he's made over a billion and they were talking about you know what are you going to do with that you know this is generational wealth and he said not for my family it's not. I'm not giving my kids $800 million. Not if I want my kids to be decent people. He said they'll each get two or three, which is a lot. but And that's it. Everything else is going to charity. I can't believe you'd do that to your kids. He's like, I can't believe you do that to your kids. Yeah, so uh, there is some value there. And they didn't earn this gold, and they sure gave it up pretty quickly. Oh, what? yeah, you want our gold? It wasn't mine. It was my neighbor's back in Egypt. And I've had it for 30 days, and now I'm giving it up. So. So they create this golden calf, and they say it represents God, and they even get to the point to where they're worshiping it. And Aaron announces it, look, here's your God. And, of course, God and Moses are busy, so God doesn't notice this. Hmm? Rod's talking about Aaron being the biggest disappointment here. And we don't, you know, I'm going to assume the conversation we see is the conversation that occurred. There was no pushback. There was no questioning it. There was no, oh, wait a minute. And Aaron is not just someone who saw what happened. Aaron spoke it to Pharaoh. You know, Moses didn't speak to Pharaoh. Most of the time, Aaron was his mouthpiece. So Aaron is the one who's speaking to the people most of the time. He was speaking to Pharaoh. He stood next to Moses when this occurred. Other than Moses, there was no one else. No one else who who saw and participated in what happened to the extent that Aaron did. And you're right. As soon as the majority came to him, as soon as the crowd started speaking, he caved. And again, I've got that as one of my points. Look at how easy... We're going to talk about this if we get to the story of the spies. Look at how easy it was for the crowd... To get everybody behind him really quickly, Aaron, the the second most powerful man in the Israelites, which would mean in the world because God's by their side, he caves. We want a god, okay? Bring me your gold. Here's your god. No resistance at all. That's the power, though of uh, that's the power of the mob. That's the power of the vocal majority. Mm-hmm. It really is. Mm-hmm. face the same thing today and i agree and we face it in two realms one is out in the world we certainly face it out in the world right the world pushes things on us and we don't have to burn down abortion clinics right that's not the right thing to do um you know we don't have to bomb those that go against us but we do have to stand up for what's right now we don't have to fight every battle but we do have to stand up for what's right But I also see it, and I think it's more worrisome, because I I think Christians can stand up for what's right in the world a lot easier than they can for standing up for what's right in the church. And I think that's where it's even harder. Um, Every church that goes to apostasy, that ends up where they're not supposed to be, starts with the minority. It always does. But they're the ones who are vocal. And the others watch it happen. Very few churches started down a pathway and thought, I hope one day that we're completely away from where we are now. That we have a completely different type of worship that doesn't resemble what we do now. That we have different leaders that don't resemble. That we're having to scramble to even try to any way to justify what we're doing. That we have people le- leaving, that we're splitting. Very few churches say that. But you get a few that push, and within the church, we don't want to question, we don't want to stop. Now, that doesn't mean we're fighting. But it is always okay to start with this, isn't it? It's always okay to say, well, wait a minute. What does this say? But what happens is we get down the pathway, and then all of a sudden we're where we didn't want to be. I bet Aaron regretted what he did. And I bet he regretted what he did before he had to drink the water. The other thing, and I'll jump to it now. You know, you have a golden calf. You made the golden calf. The people are worshiping it. Moses walks up. Aaron, what happened? I mean, you're busted, right? I mean, there's no way around it. So you might as well tell the truth. And so what does he do? He lied and just lied. Yeah. We were sitting there, and this earring jumped off my ear and hit the gold. yeah. So uh, you'll probably never meet my youngest brother, so I can tell this story on him. My mom came home one day to their house and she was walking around and she went into his bathroom to put something away and she looked in and there's a smoked cigarette butt in the bottom of the toilet. He had Okay. And so he thought she thought, Hmm, okay, I'm gonna flush that down. So later that day she said, Jonathan, have you been smoking? No, no, no. Why would you think that? I don't smoke, no. She let it go for And the next day, you know, Jonathan, are you sure you haven't been smoking? Why would you think that? No. Third time she comes to him. Jonathan, I'm need to. i going to give you a chance. Are you sure you're not smoking? Mom, I'm not smoking. Afterwards, I told him, how stupid are you? She asked you three times out of the blue about the same thing. She knew the answer before she asked it, right? Moses comes down. You're caught with a golden calf. People are worshiping it. You're the one in front. Aaron, what happened? <laughs> it popped up out of the fire. It popped up. I mean... You know, at some point, we're all going to sin. But I think this is really important about how we react to it. You know, what would have happened if they'd immediately hit the ground and thought, whoops, we've messed up, and Aaron said, we should have never, you know, Aaron pushed back, we should have never done this. Would God have killed as many as he killed? Would he have punished everybody with it? They're not the least bit repentant. They're, lo- they're sinning on top of their sin to try to cover their sin. If God can part the Red Sea a few days ago, don't you think he knew what you were doing right here? Do you really think you'll get? They've already pulled the cigarette butt out of the toilet in your bathroom. They knew you were smoking it. I mean, they asked you about it. I, I, I think sometimes when we're caught, when we've done something wrong, the I, not think, I think, I know the best thing to do is to confess it, to say, I, I messed up. I think there's a whole different way in how we're going to be treated and how God's going to view that when we think about it. So they do get caught. Aaron does kind of mess up. And um, God's, ready, God's ready to kill every one of them. At this point, God has decided, I should not have brought them out of Egypt. I'm going to kill them all. Moses, we're going to start through you. But the great nation out of you. Mm-hmm. So two things happen here. Number one is we see God ready to kill everybody because of their sin. Number two is, this is a temptation, for this is a test for Moses. I don't want to say temptation, a test for Moses. How many of us, if God, in presence, said, I'm about to make a great nation and a great name out of you, and you've just been able to do these marvelous things, it would be really tempting to go, let's do this, God. The Stephen country, that's right. The children of Heffington. I mean, that ego would really start to get to you, wouldn't it? But what we see here is, number one, and this is something that I struggled with as a child, Old Testament God's a vengeful God, New Testament God's a loving God. Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. That is a bad teaching. We have taught that for years, and that is not what the Bible says. We see more examples of God's grace in the Old Testament, individual examples, than we do in the New Testament. What we see in the New Testament is Christ, and that whole relationship changed, okay? But God continuously gives the people another chance. In fact, here... Moses asked on their behalf, and he says, I'll save them. I won't this is God saying he relented. And in fact, the, the, the scripture actually says he repented. He was not sinning, but he changed his ways. Right? He repented. He turned away and said, I'm going to save them because of what you said to me. That's the gracious God. The God who just a few days earlier said, don't build any idols. You have no other gods before me. Don't build any idols. Moses and I are going to come over here and talk. Well, you just built an idol. I mean, that's what happened in God's eyes. And he could have said, That's what he's going to do, right? Going to kill them all. But he still said, No, because of what you've said, I'm going to save them. The Old Testament God is a gracious God. Just like the New Testament God is a vengeful God. There is no difference. God did not change between the Old and the New Testament. How we approach him, our relationship with him did change. But God did not change. Okay? God was gracious from the beginning. And here we see it. He, um, he's upset. He's mad. But he gives them another chance. Um. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that gets back, you know, it was a temptation for Moses, one, because he would be all-powerful, right, his name. But number two, because, as you say, these people were not, Moses is not out there, you know, skipping around with these people having a lot of fun, right? Right. He's mad about the water and the way they complained. He's mad about the Red Sea and the way they complained. He's really mad about food and the way they complained. And then he diso- they disobeyed about the food, and now they're disobeying about the idols. I mean, Moses' temptation would be what sometimes what I... What, sometimes how do we feel if we see somebody caught in sin, right? We do it all the time. Can you believe that person did that? I wish they had just been, you know, well, they should go to jail. For that. Well, you know, they, they don't deserve to be a part of this church. Well, they're going to serve in that role. Don't we do that all the time? Because we want to see them punished for their sin. But we don't want to see us punished for our sin, right? I I make a joke. People ask, um, what's the definition of a routine surgery? Anybody know what the definition of a routine surgery is? A surgery that occurs on someone else, right? When it's you, it's never routine. So what's the definition of a bad sin? It's a sin that someone else commits, right? Yeah. And Moses very easily could be like, you know, I really I really am kind of tired of the way they're acting. A nice few directed lightning bolts, God, that's a good thing. We'll all be happier. Everybody will get along better. And that may have been what he was thinking. But it gets back to what Ron said and what Russ said. That test of Moses was he wasn't going to do it for his ego, and he wasn't in it to get revenge on these Stinking people! He's trying to lead around. He loved them. He cared for them, and he wanted them to be saved. So in Exodus thirty-two eleven, he does intervene, and it says the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken on bringing to his people. He changed his mind. He turned away, um, so that the people weren't killed. Um, now there is a punishment. So we do have a lesson here. There's always someone. Don't ignore it. Yeah, Tracy, aren't you the one that sets the schedule, Tracy? so as a reminder we haven't changed the bell schedule yet so I have an hour left right 82 minute perfect I'm good with that I'm going to set my timer there is there is a punishment someone always pays a price for sin always now in our case we are very fortunate that the biggest price was paid by someone else that's the gift we have right but the reason Jesus went to the cross is because there's always a there has to be a punishment for sin right In this case, God still punishes the people. He still wants them to learn a lesson. He still wants them to understand the cost of sin. He still wants them to understand the cost of disobedience. So 3,000 people are killed that day. And then a plague strikes the entire nation. And then they have to drink the water that's got gold in it. Again, ignore it. Oh, you know what else that means, though? We won't get a 715 bill. So I give somebody permission. Who can I trust? Emily. I know Emily doesn't mind telling me things. 7.15, make sure we're winding down. So, Oh, and then we need to make sure somebody goes to the classes and does that for them, too. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> so, all right. So there is a punishment here. There is a punishment for the sin that they've committed. Um, all right, so let's go through a couple more lessons. So what do you learn from, the, the, from this story of the golden calf? Give me something you've learned from this story. Up, we, may, we may have talked about it. We may not have. Anything? Okay. Habits die hard. This is why we need to be really careful about who we put around us, what we let influence us, and what we're into. Idolatry was what they creeped back into their life very quickly because for four centuries, that's what they'd been a part of. And if we if we let things into our lives, if we leave things in our lives, if we let things around us all the time, it is going to be very easy for that to have an influence on us. Because that's what happened to them. That's a good one. What else? Tony? Mm-hmm. Tony was saying it's important to reflect and not forget. And I have written down to remember and not forget. That's what I've written down. And how easy that happens. Okay. This is why, this is one of the reasons, this is one of many reasons why... If you're not regularly among believers, if you're not regularly in worship, if you're not regularly taking the Lord's Supper, you're going to be weaker as a Christian, period. Because we are human, and it is easy from day to day to let things get us down, from day to day to forget what's going on. Have you ever forgotten to do something the same day that you were told to do it? Yes, every one of us have, right? Imagine two days, five days, a week, two weeks, three weeks. So when you go a couple of weeks without being among believers or a couple of weeks without reflecting upon what God did on the cross, it is going to affect your life. We forget very quickly and very easily. And God knows that. Why is it we see them cross the Jordan, they put up a reminder, right? They, there's times where God's, you know, what does he t- say to Gideon? Now let's stop and let's make this reminder. right? Why does he have the Sabbath day? Why does he institute the Passover feast? Why does he institute the Lord's Supper? Because if we're going periods of time without reflecting on what we need to reflect upon or without being around the people we need to be around, it will have an effect on us. And if you're not regularly, regularly worshiping, regularly partaking of the Lord's Supper, regularly in his word, regularly in prayer, it will have an effect on us. It, It will. We are human and there's no other way to do it, right? I use the illustration all the time. Do you think... Tom Brady, you pick whatever quarterback you want. You think the last pass is thrown in the Super Bowl and he doesn't pick a football up to opening day the next year? No. Right? That would be crazy. Yeah. Yes. He he also does it more than once a week. Yeah. Uh huh. Yes. That's exactly right. And, and be in God's Word more than once a week and be in prayer. I mean, really, imagine that. I'll say, okay, I, I'm going to. I'm going to invest a million dollars, and I hope it's going to do well. What I'm going to do is put it somewhere and not even look at it, not even think about it, right? I want to be a football player, and I'm going to lift weights once a week for a few minutes, right? I want to go to medical school. So what I'm going to do is once a week, I'm going to open a book, and, oh, oh, there is a body. Oh, that's the arm. That's the leg. Okay, I got it. Ready to go to medical school. Scott? So that's a that's a great point, and I have it in mind as well. He said, "God changed Moses convinced, not just God changed his mind. Like you said, Moses convinced God to change his mind. Think about that. But what that says is when we go to God, He can change His mind. Now." We can quickly get into this. If God knows the future and he knows what's going to happen, then didn't he know He's going to change his mind? Don't get into that. Don't get into those games, okay, that don't make sense. God does not choose to know every action in the future. He could, but he doesn't. Why does God test Abraham? He knew Abraham was going to pass the test. Why test him? No. He knew the type of person Abraham was, but Abraham had free will, right? He could have passed the test or not passed the test, right? The people here could have chosen to build a golden calf or not, right? Aaron could have chosen to stand up or not. God does not look into you, He doesn't look into your life and know every decision you're going to make. Well, could he? Yes, but that's not the... God gives you free will. Now, you say, well, God's plans will always come to fruition. I understand what you're saying about that, but that's not true either. What is God's will? That all men should be saved. Is that going to happen? God's will does not always happen because of sin, because of men. And so when we pray, we can affect what God's plans are. When we sin, we can affect what God's plans are. Now, could God overcome those? Absolutely. God is all-powerful. But he didn't create a bunch of robots. If he was going to make sure that Stephen Huffington was going to get to heaven no matter what, well, then why did he create me? Just create a robot that goes through life and he brings it. That's not what he wants. He wants free will, love and worship and a relationship so we have to be careful when we talk about where God knew what was going to happen and so mm, mm, God tests people for a reason he knows the type of people they are he knows they're capable of overcoming it but we don't always see people pass that test right we don't so we can mess up God's will now God can overcome that but he doesn't always choose to because God's will is that all men will be saved or is everybody going to heaven I'm sorry, but we know that's not the case based on the word of God. So God's will does not always come about the way he wants it to because of sin. Because of those fights. Now he wins. He wins in the end. I'm not doubting that at all and you're not either. But we can mess up up what God wants. God doesn't want us to sin and we can sure mess it up. Did I see another hand? Mm Mm-hmm. What he allows, yeah, so what God's looking for is what you're saying is faith. Yes, he's, a, he's, he's not someone that puts everybody exactly where he wants them in a play, right? He, he's looking for faith. He's looking for people to do his will. Now, can God cause the sun to pause in the middle? Yes. Can God cause the Red Sea to part? Can he cause people to do things? Yeah, he walked, Peter walked on the water, right? God can cause anything he wants. He is all-powerful. But he chooses to allow free will which means he chooses to not look at every move in the future. So I've said this before, and some people get upset. I do not believe when I was born that God had Emily and I on a pathway to where we were going to get married. Now that might have been his intent, but I think what God wanted me to do was try to find a Christian wife, and we wanted a woman to do is try to find a Christian husband, and then once we found each other, he wanted us to be Christians. I do not believe there's one person in the world for you, and you've got to search the world, eight billion people, and hope that you get win that one in eight billion lottery. I don't believe that's the way God works. I don't see that in the Bible, right? Because there's free will. There's things that happen. God couldn't determine whether Emily was going to be sidetracked by sin in her life, sin in someone else's life, sin in my life, and if I married the wrong person, I'm doomed because I didn't find that one. No. Just like I've said before, I don't think God's. I, I have to be careful when I pray about a job. I'm in the middle of that right now, praying about my job. And God's got the one job out there for me, and I've got to find it. I think what God has for me is for me to be a Christian in whatever job I find myself in. God's not saying, Stephen, you were supposed to be a general surgeon, you're a urologist, you screwed up. Oh, you were supposed to stay at this hospital, now you're at this one, you screwed up. I might have screwed up, but that's not the way God works. He doesn't have one pathway in life, and if you deviate from that... That's not what God does. He doesn't have a single pathway for you to go in life. and that's the, He wants you to be faithful. He wants you to be a Christian. Right? And we're going to make mistakes, and other people are going to make mistakes, and life happens, and the world is turning. God is not up there. Oh, let me turn it out like red so nobody hits you. That's not the way God works. At least, That's not what I see in the Bible. That's not what I see in my life. That's not what I see in other people's lives. God can certainly intervene. And we see where somebody's intervention... Scott, right here, saved a million lives, right? Right. Moses' intervention saved, well, a million and a half, two million, we don't know, lives. God does intervene. He does answer prayers, right? When we go to him, that's the same. Moses is speaking to God and we're speaking to God, right? So we can have that power, but we also see where God divorces the Israelites later, right? We also see where God abandons them, right? We see where they die in battle because of mistakes they made and that wasn't God's intention. So... Um, I, I I like the fact that I can go to the God of the universe and intervene, not the same way Moses did. Moses was, for lack of a better term, face to face. Not exactly, but he's speaking with him. But yeah, God intervened. He changed his mind because of Moses. So, um. I think that's all I had. Any other? Yes. See, now you're stepping on my toes, and I didn't want you to step on my toes. No. So, patience and trust. You look at the story of the Israelites, and that's what you're saying is, yeah, they didn't have patience. I need water now. I'm hungry now. Where did this Moses guy go, right? He's up on the mountain. Where did this Moses go? He's been gone two weeks. Can you believe two weeks? That's a lifetime, right? But no, trust that God is doing what... The God who just parted the Red Sea and just gave us manna and gave us water. He's doing up there in those clouds what he said. You know, give Him time. No patience and trust, right? They attack when they weren't supposed to later in the story. And people die because they didn't do what they were supposed to. We have another issue we talked about the second time with water. And that cost Moses going into the promised land. But the people as well because of that sin. They don't trust that God's going to do what he said he was going to do. And even if they do, they say, God, I want you to do it right now. Um, I've said before, I prayed for patience, and God gave me Jessica, my oldest daughter. And so I do not pray for patience anymore. I love my daughter. Um, But we have learned patience from her, right? And not where we need to be. Um, But I'm sure God thinks the same thing. You know, it's you've prayed for this, and you gave me a day, a month, a year. I've got other plans, right? Give me time, or maybe... Thank you. Give me time, or maybe that's not the answer. But that is a good point patience and trust. The Israelites were not the most patient of people, unlike us when we are so patient with everything that happens. Okay. No, no, that's good. I forgot, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that's right. I did say he he lied, you know, the, the golden calf just sprang it. But you're right. Well, the first thing he said is, well, it's these people, these wicked people. You knew they were wicked. What'd you expect from these wicked people? I mean, they're worshiping an idol now. They're wicked people, right? Yeah. I didn't eat of the apple. My wife gave it to me. Yeah. Right? And I think had had Aaron had a wife there, he probably would have blamed it on her first before he went to... But you're right. Yeah, it was immediately took himself out of the picture to blame it on someone else. Gotcha. Thank you. Appreciate it. He's up on the mountain. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Joshua was up part of the way up the mountain I guess this might be the right way to put that yeah he said there was war in the camp so and this is probably Joshua's chosen for a reason we see that you know why didn't Aaron go up probably because Aaron wasn't the right person to go up Joshua was and we see that as Ron pointed out he's a real class class act when he's confronted on it well these are wicked people and the calf just sprang up out of the fire what would you expect all right, um, that right, we're winding down, so now's a good stopping point. We're going to talk about the spies, numbers 13, next week. Uh, that's where we'll go with that. Um, but we're two minutes, a minute or two, so good stopping point there. And we'll have a Devo here in just a minute. Good, Good comments tonight. Thank you, everybody.